You know, I have had uh, the privilege, and, I, and it is a privilege, of visiting and praying with a handful of families over the years as they have welcomed uh, a new baby into the world. And I think some people find it kind of odd, but I think out of everything that um, God has uh, you know, given me to be able to do in this role, uh, visiting families in the hospital or members of families that we have here, it really is one of the favorite things for me. I, I love spending time with people. You know, whether it's um, to pray for an individual who's hurting, and we certainly have some of that in our church right now, or to celebrate with a family who's welcoming a new baby into the world, I, I really believe a lot of good can happen when we surround families in these kind of seasons. So I'll often, I'll show up at the hospital and uh, other family members are there. This is kind of, of typical. Um, so there's definitely been some interesting, and I'm going to say sometimes odd, um, interactions when this happens, especially if someone's crazy aunt or uncle that they haven't spoken to in like a month or a year decides to show up. Uh, sometimes it just gets a little bit, it just gets a little bit odd. You know, what's really funny though is when someone has a baby, and the rest of the extended family, whom, again, they haven't seen in a long time, they show up, and they just don't know what to say, all right? They, they, don't, they have no idea what to say either to the parents or, or even to the newborn. It's almost like they've never seen a baby before in their life. And I hear some pretty funny things. So over the years, there's been a few things that were said that have just stuck with me. And I think the most common thing that has been said is, you know, an aunt or an uncle or a distant relative will come in. And the first thing they say, because they don't know, they'll just say, oh, your baby is, is so cute. Can I just get this out in the open this morning? Not all babies are cute. (laughs) And sometimes they say this and and parents, you should think your baby is the cutest baby in the whole world. Like, I fully, 100% agree with that. But they'll come in and they'll say, oh, your baby is so cute. And I'm looking at the baby, and I'm looking back at them, and then I look at the baby, and I'm thinking, we're looking at two different kids here. Because, you know, that, this is not the case. <laughs> Another thing that's really funny, again, I think because they have no idea what to say, they come in, and the first thing that comes out, maybe they're a sports fan, and they'll just say, oh, man, your kid's going to grow up, and he's going to play basketball in the NBA, or he's going to play football in the NFL. And, and again, I'm looking at the parents, and I'm thinking, really? Because mom and dad are both five foot nothing. Like, <laughs> it's just not in the cards. I mean, you look at the genes that are in the room. It's just not, not going to happen. It's also really funny when people start talking in baby talk, and we've all done that, right? You see a new baby, and then we just kind of naturally revert to that. We just start talking in baby talk, like this two-hour-old baby is going to understand a word that's coming out of our mouths. But we don't care. We, we talk that way anyway. This used to bug me until my wife told me that it's actually been scientifically proven that babies um, develop language skills a lot quicker, a lot better when we talk in baby talk. And, and I think it has something to do with the different vowels or the different, um, I think it's the vowels that we stress when we talk that way. So I guess moral to the story, like baby talk is okay. So if you're going to visit a baby in the hospital or you're holding one, baby talk is okay. Well, today we're, we're in the final week of our Christmas message series. This is a series called Songs of Christmas. And during the month of December, we've been taking a closer look as a church family um, at four of the very first Christmas songs ever written. And these songs are recorded for us in Luke's gospel. All of these songs are songs of praise. They're songs that give glory to God. Uh, and they're also songs that teach us about God. They teach us about his character and about his nature. We've also talked about how these are songs that help answer important questions that many people have about God. 
Um, some of the questions that, that come up is, what is God like? Well, Mary gives us two words in her song that helps us understand a little bit about what God is like. Also, why, why do we need God? That's a question that we, that we see in these songs, in Zechariah's song. And then last week, the angel's song, it really helps answer the question, who, who is Jesus? Well, our fourth and final song is Simeon's song. And Simeon uh, was a man who was a faithful follower of God. He's a man who actually patiently waited for a long period of time for the Messiah to be born. He was waiting for Jesus to be born. And after Jesus was born, Simeon had the awesome opportunity of holding baby Jesus in his hands. Can you imagine that? Having that privilege of holding the Messiah, the Savior, the Lord in your hands. But unlike the awkward things that are often said in a hospital room when families come together and a new baby is born, Simeon knew exactly what he was going to say when he saw Jesus for the first time. Simeon's song is recorded for us in Luke chapter 2, verses 25. Uh, The first part of it is through 32. We're going to look at this in two parts today. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up to Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 25. And we're also going to have the words on the screen. And again, I'm going to look at this in two parts because I think um, there is um, some significant truth in each of these parts. So let's start in verse 25 this morning. It says, at that time... There was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout and was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. That day, the Spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord as the law required, Simeon was there. He took the child in his arms and praised God. And this is what Simeon said. He said, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace as you have promised. I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for. And what are the two words here? You have prepared for all people. He says, you've prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations. And he is the glory of your people Israel. So last week we read about how the angels had the awesome privilege of announcing that the Savior had been born. And they did this in such a unique and special way. We read that uh, they were joined by a vast choir of other angels and the armies of heaven. And they were singing, they were praising God. And they came to let us know the Savior had been born. Well, likewise, Simeon had the privilege of sharing a wonderful truth. Um, that salvation for all people was here. If you're taking notes this morning, the first truth that we're going to talk about is this, um, that Jesus was born to offer salvation to all people. Jesus was born to offer salvation to all people. If you look at verses 30 through 32 in Luke chapter 2, Simeon says, I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared For all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and He is the glory of your people, Israel. You see, Simeon understood that Jesus had been born to offer salvation to all people, not just the Jews, but the Gentiles as well. And this means everyone. 
What's amazing to me is that if you keep reading throughout Luke's gospel, you actually see adult Jesus living out this truth in his own life, living this out in his day-to-day earthly ministry. One of my favorite stories is in Luke chapter 5, verses 27 through 32. Let's look at that together real quick. So this is Jesus. He's grown up. This is adult Jesus. His ministry has started. It says, later, as Jesus left the town, he saw a tax collector named Levi, or Matthew, sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up. He left everything. And he followed him. Well, later, uh, Levi held a banquet in his home with Jesus as the guest of honor. Many of Levi's fellow tax collectors and other guests also ate with them. But the Pharisees and their teachers of religious law, they complained bitterly to Jesus' disciples. Why do you eat and drink with such scum? And Jesus answered them. This is kind of that famous line. Many, Many of us know this. Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. See, I've come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. I love this story for so many reasons, but one of the main kind of overarching reasons is because it shows us that Jesus is willing to do what others are not willing to do to reach people that others are not willing to reach. Jesus was willing to go to the places nobody else was willing to go, to eat with the people that nobody else wanted to eat with. You know, being a tax collector in Jesus' day, this was a pretty bad thing. And we've talked about this in past messages before, um, that Matthew being a tax collector, I think most accurately um, would be the same as a high school student selling drugs to a middle school student behind the school gym. All right? That's how bad it was. That's how people viewed his profession. It was, it was horrible. Everyone hated tax collectors. And you see, the Pharisees, they weren't okay with Jesus spending time with people like this because they were more concerned with things like their image. They wanted to make sure that when people saw them, they saw what they, what they wanted them to see. They were more concerned about following their hundreds of man-made rules. And they cared too much about what other people think. In fact, the opinions of others is really what drove their decision-making. But what's fascinating is these are the kinds of people that Jesus came to save. The kinds of people that nobody else wanted to spend time with. The kind of people that nobody else wanted to serve or to be around. Verses 30 through 32, we just read this, but I want to reread it, and and maybe it'll have a little different meaning for you now. But the Pharisees and their teachers of religious law, they complained bitterly to Jesus' disciples. So here's some of those um, chronic complainers. All right, remember we talked about that a few weeks ago. They complained bitterly to Jesus' disciples. Why do you eat and drink with such scum? And Jesus answered them, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I've come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. A few thoughts on this passage this morning. Number one, again, Jesus intentionally spent time with sinners. I think we hear that growing up. Maybe if you've been in the church a long time. like we, It kind of just bounces off now. Jesus intentionally spent time with sinners. And we view that like, okay, well, that's Jesus, that's that's great. But that actually has a lot of significance for how we're supposed to live our lives as well. 
Jesus intentionally spent time with sinners. He never supported what they did, but their sin also didn't keep him from loving them and serving them. Another thought on this passage, you know, aren't you glad that hospitals don't turn sick people away? Think about it. There's some sickness going around in the church and in families. Think if you, if you had the flu and it got really bad, you needed to go to the hospital, and, and you get there, and right when you walk in the door, they say, oh, no, we don't serve sick people here. We serve healthy people. I mean, that just wouldn't make any sense, right? It doesn't make any sense. And when we begin to view this story and through those lenses, it also doesn't make sense that we would neglect or refuse to, to, to build relationships with or serve people who are outside the faith. See, Jesus was born to redeem or to heal the spiritually sick. He was born to redeem the marginalized and the outcast. And what's amazing is when you keep reading throughout the Gospels, towards the end of the Gospels, and then into Paul's letters to the churches in the New Testament, we see that Jesus has given this same mission of seeking out and ministering to the lost. He's given that mission to you and I. We've been given this ministry of reconciliation. A third thought, and this is more of a a question that I want to ask you to to ask yourself today. And this is going to be pretty personal, I think. But I think it's something that we need to ask ourselves. And, And that is this. If everyone else at OCC, so if everyone else in our church lived out their faith the way that you live out your faith, Would that help the kingdom of God or would that hurt the kingdom of God? A couple examples. If if everyone else spent time with unbelievers the way that you spend time with unbelievers, would that help or hurt the kingdom? If everybody else shared the good news of Jesus, the gospel with others as frequently as you do, would that help or hurt the kingdom? If everyone else invited people to church on Sunday mornings as as frequently as you do, would the doors stay open? Would we ever see any new people here? How about this? If everyone gave and was as generous as you are, would that help the kingdom or would that hurt the kingdom? We talked about chronic complaining a little bit because that's something that, that kills contentment in our lives. If everyone else in the church complained the way that you complain, would that help the mission of the church or would that hurt it? And then the other side of that coin is if everyone else encouraged others the way that you encourage, would that help or hurt? See, church, these are, these are important questions that we have to ask ourselves. Because as disciples, we're supposed to look at the life of Jesus, learn from Jesus to live like Jesus. It's not just up to the pastor or the elders or the ministry team leaders. It's on you. Individually, you are called, if you are in Christ, you are a disciple of Jesus. And you are to set the tone, to, to be the example to others. And I think these are important things to think about as we go into the new year. You see, Jesus was born to offer salvation to all people. And again, as we learn from Jesus to live like Jesus, I believe that our church should also be growing as a place that all people can come and and hear about the good news of Jesus, regardless of their background, regardless of their race, regardless of their social status. People should be welcome to come and hear about Jesus. And I I personally have a conviction 
that the church should be willing to do anything, any, any method short of sin to reach people with the gospel. And we talk about methods changing. The gospel is, is, is what never changes. The message never changes. But we are in a changing culture that's ever-changing. And our methods have to change if we're going to connect and reach people with the good news of Jesus. I truly believe that the church should be willing to do anything short of sin to reach people with the gospel. See, the truth is, is that there is not a person alive today that doesn't need this good news. Amen? I need this good news. You need this good news. Your neighbor needs Jesus. Your coworker needs Jesus. Your grandchildren need Jesus. And we are the means by which God uses to teach people and share the good news of, of Christ. The second truth that we're going to talk about this morning, and this is where we begin to shift to the second part of Simeon's song, is this. Uh, Simeon's song is about salvation as well as suffering. Simeon's song is about salvation as well as suffering. So the second part of Simeon's song, this is what we read. Uh, Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about him. And then Simeon blessed them. And then I almost picture he turns to Mary and he says, he says, said to Mary, the baby's mother, this child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall and many others to rise. He has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And then he says to Mary, and a sword will pierce your very soul. So talking to Mary, Simeon was hinting at what was to come. Not just announcing that Jesus would bring salvation, but also what it would cost him to bring it. This second half of Simeon's song reminds us that Jesus' birth would cause many people to fall, but that it would also cause others to rise. What is Simeon saying here? Well, I think in its simplest form, I believe Simeon is saying, with Jesus, there is really no middle ground. You're either going to joyfully accept him or you'll willingly reject him. You'll joyfully accept him, joyfully believe in him, or you will willingly reject him. You'll either be hot or you'll either be cold. And we see this in the New Testament. There really is no lukewarm Christianity. There's no such thing. You're either hot or you're cold. And Luke's gospel tells us that many people will actually oppose Jesus. This is living our lives um, intentionally opposed to God's design, intentionally rejecting who Jesus said that he is. And Simeon says, as a result, God will reveal the true attitudes of our hearts, our true attitude towards God. You know, it's, it's one thing um, to gather um, with the people of God on Sunday and, you know, put on your best and kind of have the right words to say, look the part. It's another thing to live it out. It's another thing to have a life that's been changed by what Jesus did on the cross, changed because of who he is. And, and I am... I think rightfully fearful that, especially in our, in our American churches, that it has become more of just a gathering about what I can get out of it. You know, a gathering, a country club mentality kind of a thing, as opposed to a central hub for dispersing the gospel. A place where people can come and grow in their faith and learn how to live in obedience to God's word. 
Glorifying God through how we sing together, how we serve together. Simeon says that God will reveal the true attitude of our hearts, our, our, our true attitude towards God. I can only imagine what hearing these words would have been like for Mary. How hearing these words would have made her feel. You see, Simeon is looking at Mary and he's saying, hey, although today is a wonderful day, like we are celebrating the birth of the Messiah, the birth of our Savior, although today is a wonderful day, one day your heart will break because of this baby. And if you look closely at his words, he doesn't tell Mary exactly what will happen, but he does tell her how it will make her feel. Uh, Verse 35, the second part of this, how he ends, he said, and a sword will pierce your very soul. That's how it's going to feel to Mary. And Simeon here is sharing a truth that in order for Jesus to fulfill his purpose, in order for him to fulfill his mission here on earth, he would have to suffer. He's saying the good news of God's salvation through Jesus would follow suffering. The third and final truth that we're going to talk about this morning is this, that unless we understand the events of Easter, it's impossible to grasp the heart of Christmas. Unless we understand the events of Easter, it's impossible for us to grasp the heart of Christmas. So I remember when Weston... My six-year-old, he's in here with us today, this morning. He's in a little bit of trouble today. That's okay. We learn from our mistakes. I remember when Weston, who is six now, was born, and the doctors told us that um, he had a stomach issue that was actually caused um, by his belly button not properly healing. And they said he would be fine for the time being, but that likely it was going to cause issues down the road, and then it was very likely as well that he was going to have to have surgery one day. And these words um, that the doctors said, they've always stuck with me. And I think for any parent, you hear something like that, Um, whether it's minor or major, it it sticks with you, right? You you remember those words. I want to say up front, you know, I I trust God. I trust his plan and his purpose, but I'd be lying if, if I said I've never worried about this. And if I had to guess, I'm willing to bet that Mary never forgot Simeon's words either, even if she didn't fully understand what he was saying. I'm willing to bet that she never forgot what he told her that day. See, she didn't yet understand that her newborn son, who was resting comfortably in Simeon's arms at the time, would one day hang on the cross. She had no idea. Now, at this point in the message, maybe you're thinking, you know, Craig, isn't this supposed to be a series about Christmas? (laughs) And it absolutely is. You see, unless we understand the events of Easter, it's impossible for us to grasp the heart of what Christmas is really about. And Simeon understood this, which is why his song points us to the end of Luke's gospel, or what would become Luke's gospel, uh, to Good Friday. He shares these words. He shares this song shortly after Jesus was born on the very first Christmas, but he points us to Good Friday. See, God's word teaches us that Jesus was born to redeem people, and Simeon's song speaks to how God would accomplish this. So what I want us to do for this this last few minutes of the message, I want to move from the beginning of Luke where we spent most of our time, and I want to move to the end 
of Luke. We're going to move from the beginning where, where Simeon is talking about salvation and suffering to the end of Luke's gospel where we see what Mary and many of Jesus' earliest followers would have witnessed with their own eyes. Luke chapter 23, verses 32 through 47. It's a little bit of a lengthy text, not too bad, but I want us to, to see this together this morning. So you might need to, you might need to sit up a little bit and take a, take a deep breath. This, this is so important. It says, Two others, both criminals, were led out to be executed with him. And when they came to the place called the skull, they nailed him to the cross. And the criminals were also crucified, one on his right and one on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. The crowd watched and the leaders scoffed. He saved others, they said. Let him save himself if he really is God's Messiah, if he really is the chosen one. The soldiers mocked him, too, by offering him a drink of sour wine. And they called out to him, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And then it says, a sign was fastened above him with these words, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed. He says, so you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. But the other criminal, he protested. He said, don't you fear God even when you've been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man, he hasn't done anything wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. And then the last few verses here. By this time it was about noon, and darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. The light from the sun was gone, and suddenly the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn down the middle. And then Jesus shouted, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. And with those words, he breathed his last. And when the Roman officer overseeing the execution saw what had happened, it says he worshiped God. A Roman officer worshiped God and he said, surely this man was innocent. It was pastor and author Alistair Begg who pointed out an interesting fact about this text. He says that there are virtually no details in this passage about Jesus' physical suffering. That is interesting. It's as if Luke doesn't want us to get so caught up in the outward physical aspects of what was happening to Jesus that we lose sight of the deeper spiritual truths of what was really happening, what Jesus was really accomplishing on the cross. See, Luke doesn't want you and I to feel only sympathy for Jesus as a sufferer because he wants you to put your faith in Jesus as your Savior. Luke wants us to grasp not only what Jesus went through on the cross, but also how he saves. One more quote from Alistair Begg this morning. I love this. I posted this this week. Um, he says that Christianity is not good advice about what we should do. Christianity is, is good news of what Christ has done. The gospel is good news about what Christ has done. 
So what has Christ done? Well, I want to end our series and end our time together today with this text in Luke chapter 24, verses 1 through 7. I think this paints such a beautiful picture of what Jesus accomplished on the cross. It says, but very early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb, uh, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. So they went in, but they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. And as they stood there puzzled, I think any of us would have been, two men suddenly appeared to them, clothed in dazzling robes. The women were terrified, and they bowed with their faces to the ground. And then the men asked, why? I love this question. Why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Remember what he told you back in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and that he would rise again on the third day. And this is God's word, and all of God's people said, Amen. Jesus was born to offer salvation to all people. And a question that we have to ask ourselves today is, is this. Have I made the decision personally to believe in and trust in Jesus with my life? Do I believe that Jesus is who he says he is? If you answer yes to that, you can claim the promise that you are an adopted son or daughter of the king. And that is worth celebrating every day. If the answer is no, today can be that day. In fact, we would love to stay with you after service today and just talk with you how you can take that next step in beginning a relationship with Jesus. See, Simeon's song is about salvation, that Jesus was born to offer salvation to all people, but it's also about suffering. And unless we understand the events of Easter, it's impossible for us to grasp the heart of Christmas. See, church, today we can celebrate the birth of our Savior because we know that Jesus ultimately went to the cross. And today we can celebrate the birth of our Savior because we worship a risen Savior. 